Well, good morning, church. Welcome you to College Park uh, this morning. We're glad you are with us. Also want to welcome those who are joining us with a live stream. Thank you for tuning with us this morning. And I must uh, share with you all, it's such a privilege and a blessing for me to be able to be here and to share the word of the Lord uh, with you this morning. Please know that God has just uh, been so gracious to us down in Greenwood, and it's a really encouraging time. Um, And I want you to know that that your prayers for us are working and that we as a congregation down there appreciate all of you very much and we appreciate your continued prayers for that work. If you haven't already done so, please open your Bibles to John chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, as we will be continuing our Believe series this morning. And, And I want to start off with a question by a show of hands. How many people here like to be interrupted? If you enjoy being interrupted, okay, I don't, I'm not seeing any, right? Not surprising. People don't like to be interrupted if they're in the middle of a conversation, or maybe they're, they're working, or maybe the worst, if they're in the middle of a nap. Nobody likes to be interrupted in a nap, but I would submit to you this morning that there are such a thing as, as good interruptions. Let's say, for example, you're a basketball fan, and, and you love the NBA, and, and you DVR'd the NBA Finals this past year, and you got your friends together, and, and you're in your room, and you're watching uh, the Warriors and the Cavs play, and all of a sudden, I burst into your room and say, you're not going to believe this. I just witnessed LeBron James playing pickup basketball down the park. He's taking on anybody who wants to come. Let's go. You probably wouldn't be like, don't interrupt me while I'm watching basketball. You know, you'd be like, thank you, yeah, you'd grab your sneakers, and you'd run out of here. Or a warning can serve as a very helpful interruption. Let's say that you're walking across the street and you've got your your earbuds in and and you're on your phone, you're watching a live stream of Ninja playing Fortnite and you're really into it, and you're going across and there's a truck headed right at you. And I'm like, watch out, watch out, there's a truck and you can't hear me. If I run and tackle you to get you out of the way and and you just barely missed the truck, you wouldn't be like, don't disturb me when I'm watching other humans play video games. This is very important. You'd say, thank you. Thank you for saving my life. I appreciate that interruption. Well, I want to submit to us this morning that the text that we're going to be looking at serves as a great interruption, one that serves as both a great witness as well as a great warning. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, if you've been with us the last two weeks, you're knowing that we're working through the prologue of the Gospel of John, which is the first 18 verses. And the prologue is is really all about Jesus, and that's what we have been looking at, verses 1 through 5. Now, look with me in John chapter 1, verse 5. We read this. This is where we finished off last week. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, skip down to verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Do you see kind of the continuity of that that light theme there? That that flows together. That's a nice, steady stream of thought. But look at this intrusion of the scriptures that we're going to kind of read about that has not to do with Jesus, but about John the Baptist. In verse 6, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now, skip down to verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask you, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. 
So you see that also has like a nice steady flow of thought about John. The only other interruption in this prologue is in verse 15, which is also this interruption about John. And if you have an ESV, you'll see that so sharply outlined that it's actually put in parentheses. So the question is, why? Why not just have 15 verses about Jesus as a prologue and then talk about John when you get down to verse 19? Why did the author, and by the way, the author of this gospel is not the same as John the Baptist. There are two different Johns. So why did John the author feel it necessary right here after telling us these really amazing things about Jesus to kind of hit the brakes, tell us about John quickly, and go back to Jesus? Well, we know it wasn't random. We know he didn't just kind of mess up his word file, just absolutely, you know, copied and pasted these three verses, you know, higher up than they should have been. No, we know this was purposeful that he had a clear design behind it. In fact, you could say that the Spirit of God, as he was inspiring John, had a purpose behind it. And that's the question we are going to set out to answer today. Why this interruption about John the Baptist? Well, the first thing we're going to see, and if you're a a note taker, is that this is giving us a great witness. You could write down, God gives us a great witness through John the Baptist. To understand the gravity of this interruption, we have to understand who John the Baptist is. So let's kind of set the stage for where we are in the story. Israel, as a people of God, have not heard from God in over 400 years. Okay, there had been radio silence. And we know that God primarily spoke to his people through the prophets. We read that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But there hadn't been a prophet to Israel since Malachi, which is also the last book of the Old Testament, and that gap is over 400 years since God had sent a prophet. Now, this word sent is very important because that is the language the Bible uses when speaking about the prophets. Think about um, Jonah, whom God sent to Nineveh. Or think about the prophet Jeremiah, he said, God, I can't go bear your message. I'm too young. And the Lord told him, wherever I send you, I will put the words in your mouth. Or maybe the prophet Isaiah, who when he had a vision of God on his throne, God Almighty said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. This is all language about the prophets. So so when we read here in verse 6 that there was a man sent from God, that has some really significant meaning. It means that God has finally sent a prophet after 400 years of no one speaking to his people. Now, believe it or not, John the Baptist was actually more even than just a prophet. He himself fulfilled prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, and that would have been over 600 years prior to John, as well as in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, over 400 years before John, we read prophecies about this man who would come to be the forerunner of the, of the Messiah, of the Savior. And Matthew chapter 3, verse 3, as well as Matthew chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, confirm that these prophecies were about John the Baptist. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 9. He says, who did you go out to see? Who did you think that you were interacting with when you went out into the wilderness to see John the Baptist? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, 
I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. So Jesus is pointing to John the Baptist as the fulfillment of these prophecies, but not just these prophecies, the final prophecy of the Old Testament, where Malachi also writes in chapter 4, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And Jesus confirms that this is also about John the Baptist. In Matthew 11, 13 through 14, we read, All the prophets and all the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who was to come. Now that doesn't mean that he was Elijah reincarnated or anything like that. It means that his ministry operated in the spirit and the power of Elijah as the angel prophesied to John's father, Zechariah, in Luke chapter 1. You see, there's a lot going on here. He is the fulfillment of many, many, many prophecies. And as if that weren't enough, Jesus says about John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus is saying he is the best man that's ever lived. Primarily because he was the last prophet of the Old Testament, or the Old Covenant, really. He, he was the direct forerunner to the Christ. And long like all the other prophets, he got to see the Savior of the world with his own eyes. John the Baptist was a huge, huge deal. So when we read a sentence, there is a man sent from God, his name was John. That sounds kind of almost plain, but it's huge when we understand who John is. Now, verse 7, why did John come? He came as a witness, to bear witness, some translations might say, to testify about the light that all might believe through him. This is, this is legal language here. This is, this is court language. This idea of witnessing or verifying that something is in fact true, this word is used 47 times in the Gospel of John to verify, to witness, to bear witness to. Why? Because as we've been talking about, the goal of the Gospel of John is that we might believe. And if you had a witness come into a courtroom, you'd want them to be trustworthy, right? You'd want somebody to be this person, you know, you, they're dependable, they, they know what they're talking about. So if you have prophecies about a forerunner who would point to the Messiah, who all the people recognized was a prophet, and he's out in the wilderness with tons of people coming out to him, what better person to be able to look and say, yes, that is the Lamb of God. That is the Savior of the world. That is the Messiah. His ministry was all about being this witness. That's all that he was about, so that we might believe. So, so you could put it this way. John interrupts his own gospel to tell us that God has sent a prophet to interrupt 400 years of silence to tell us the light is coming into the world to interrupt darkness so that men and women could find life in Christ. That is what is going on here. That is why this interruption is taking place, that people then and people now might find life in Jesus Christ through the gospel and by people testifying about him. Now, I would like to submit to us this morning that the ministry of John the Baptist is alive and well here in 2018. I don't mean that he's still out in the wilderness eating locusts and honey, and I don't mean that anybody else in the world uh, fulfills these prophecies or is a prophet of God in the Old Testament sense. That's, that's not at all what I mean. 
But rather what I do mean is if you are here today believing in Jesus Christ for salvation, it is because someone served as a John the Baptist type, a forerunner for the gospel in your life. Somebody before you came to faith pointed you towards Jesus Christ. Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a, a co-worker, a neighbor, maybe somebody just gave you a gospel tract. Maybe you're here this morning or you're listening online precisely because right now somebody is being a forerunner pointing you towards Jesus, saying you've got to come to church and hear about this man, Jesus Christ. You've got to watch online so you can hear about the light that overcomes darkness. That would be an example of kind of a modern John the Baptist ministry. And this is good because this is a purpose that we as Christians have. One of the main purposes that we have is to bear witness about Jesus Christ to others. Look back at verse 7 with me. I want to point out one uh, little word in that sentence. John the Baptist came as a witness to bear witness about the light that, some translations say, so that. That indicates purpose. What was the purpose of John the Baptist? That people could hear his testimony and they might believe through him. John the Baptist was pointing forward, future tense. He was saying, the light is coming, and it will overcome the darkness. Believe in that light. Now, hold your place there in John chapter 1 in your Bibles, and, and move to the right to 1 Peter chapter 2. Okay? You want to go past Hebrews. If you hit Revelation or First uh, and Second John, you've gone too far. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're looking at verse 9. This is a description of who we are as Christians. This is a description of who we are here, even as believers in College Park Church. He says this in verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? There's the word that. Some translations, again, put so that. It also indicates purpose. Why are we these things? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who, get this, called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You see that? John the Baptist existed so that people could hear his testimony that in the future someone is coming to call people out of darkness into their light. Here we are, into God's light, rather. Here we are. 2,000 years later, testifying, yes, I know Jesus. He came and called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. And as Christians, one of the reasons that, that we are even alive, the purpose behind our existence is to proclaim these truths. We sang them this morning. We bore witness. We, we cried out in this room all these different things we know to be true about Jesus. And we know that all of this is made possible because of the gospel, which is summarized in a way in verse 10, right below verse 9, this is how we came into this light. Once we were not a people, we were not born children of God, we were born spiritually dead, but now through faith in Christ, we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. That's, that's the gospel. That although we were running from God, we spend the majority of our lives not really caring about God, we, we, we have this sin going on, and half the time before the Lord, we don't even realize it's happening, and then all of a sudden, boom, God interrupts our life. Whether you were seven or 70 years old, he interrupts our life, he opens our eyes to the truth, 
that we were made for God and that Jesus Christ loved us enough to die on that cross and take our sins for those who believe and the lights turn on. And we step out of darkness and into his marvelous light and we go from being estranged from God to being God's people and we go from being in our sin, deserving of God's wrath, to having the righteousness of Christ and having received mercy. This is the beautiful work of the cross. And this is one of the reasons we exist, to proclaim these excellencies, to share our testimony. Last time I was up on this stage was August 26th. It was the last morning in our um, desperation series. And it was the morning that you guys prayed to commission us off to Greenwood for the gospel ministry down there. And if you were there that morning, you remember it was a powerful, powerful morning for a variety of reasons. One of the most powerful things that happened was a group of people came onto the stage with, with large pieces of cardboard. And on the front of that piece of cardboard, they were sharing various aspects of, of darkness in their lives. Some had been struggling with addiction. Some was mourning the loss of a family member or someone close to them. Some were battling illness. Some were having sin wreak havoc in their lives. Some had marriages that, that were strained or broken. And on these pieces of cardboard, they were displaying this darkness that they had. And then what a powerful moment when they would flip over the cardboard and show all of us how the light of Christ was working in those situations. For some of them, it was past tense. This was the case, but Jesus stepped in and now this has been redeemed. For some, it was this was the case, and to be honest, I'm still wrestling with that darkness, but I have hope in the light of Christ. And, and we call those cardboard testimonies. What they were doing was testifying to the fact that Jesus was truly working in the darkness of their lives. That's what we as Christians are called to do, to encourage one another with these testimonies and to speak truth to a non-believing world. And so right here, I just want to kind of get us to think, if, if you're like me, sometimes you forget that you have this great purpose and you let things like maybe social awkwardness or, or is now the right time to share the gospel? Or, you know what I mean? You, you, you kind of get, yeah, God's putting on your heart. You want to tell somebody about Jesus, and, you, and you're like, oh, I don't know. And I know that to be true, because if I were to invite everybody to come stand right here this morning who had regretted telling people about Jesus, I would imagine it would be empty, or, or maybe one or two people, and I'd love to hear why. But if I were to say, if this happened to you where you really wanted to share Jesus, but you didn't because you were nervous or you were socially awkward, you felt like maybe it wasn't the right time, but later you regretted it and you wished that you had, if, if that's you in the past or maybe this week, would you just kind of come stand here? I mean, there wouldn't be enough room. And I'd be the first one here. And what I love about this verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, and this whole idea, is that it's kind of freeing. It tells all of us that, that you are free, you are encouraged. In fact, it is God's will for us to overstep this social awkwardness sometimes and give people the gospel. Let me tell you about a, a famous person uh, in Texas you may have heard of. His name is Matt Chandler. Okay, he's a well-known preacher. God has blessed him. Um, he's just a gifted pastor, and, and God has used him to give the gospel to many, many, many people. Well, there's another man out in Texas that you've probably never heard of, and his name is, is Jeff Faircloth. I don't know if he lives there now, but he did when Matt was in high school because Jeff is the guy that led Matt to Christ in high school, and here's how it happened, and I love this story. They both played football, and their lockers were near one another, and, and while Matt, after practice, was taking his, his pads off, Jeff interrupted him and said, hey, Matt, 
I need to tell you about Jesus. When do you want to do that? <laughs> it's a true story. And, and Matt was, was so disoriented that he didn't ask. He wasn't like, hey, um, I kind of like to tell you, when would you like to? And he didn't say it quietly. Like, football locker rooms aren't, that's not the kind of talk that usually goes on there. But this Jeff guy, with no shame, very proudly said, Matt, we're talking about Jesus. Give me the time. And Matt was like, wow, that's so bold. And he was like, all right, yeah, let's, let's talk about Jesus. And for two years, Jeff took him to youth ministry. It took two years of God working on Matt's heart, but eventually that light broke through the darkness and Matt became a child of God. And God is now using him mightily today. Why? Well, I believe Jeff understood this, this verse, that we as Christians are free to be bold for the gospel, that we are kind of released from social awkwardness, or, or should I say something, should I not, and just to, to go forward in love, and I don't mean to be rude or condescending, of course I don't mean that, but to, to go forward in love and be bold for the gospel, and, and this, doesn't, this isn't meant to glorify Jeff, because Jeff didn't save Matt, right? It wasn't Jeff's testimony that, that saved Matt. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you're here and you're like, ah, you know, I don't know if my testimony is that great, that's okay. First of all, your testimony is great because you came out of darkness into light no matter when that was. But, but second of all, it's not your testimony that saves people, it's just one more witness to the gospel, and it's the gospel that is the power of salvation unto all who believe. And by the way, you don't even have to know everything about the Bible in and out and perfectly to share your faith because it doesn't depend on your ability to bring somebody to Christ. It's God's Spirit working through His Word. So we have every, every reason to be free and confident and bold to share the gospel to others, really as forerunners similar to John the Baptist. God has given us a great witness in John the Baptist, and He has also given to us a great witness that we might point others to himself. Now, I said in the beginning that this interruption serves twofold. That it gives us both a great witness, but it also gives us a great warning. And so let's go back to verse 8 and look at the warning. If you think about verses 1 through 5, there's this epic language, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Talks about how Jesus made everything, that Jesus gives life and light. And then we get down to verse 6, and it's like, there was a man. His name was John. Now, why? Why use this epic language about Jesus and then use this very simple language about John? Well, I think that John, the author, is trying to drive home the point here that John the Baptist, as awesome as he was, was not the Savior. If you remember down in verse 19, they came and they asked, hey, are you the Savior? He said, no, 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 I'm not. I am not the Christ. And I think there was a very real danger because John the Baptist had such a thriving ministry for people to put their trust in him and in his ministry rather than Jesus. That's why verse 8 is so direct. It says, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And if you continue down to verse 9, and you look at that word true, where it says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. I believe that that word true there uh, probably serves a couple of purposes, but one of which is to contrast the true light, Jesus, actually against the John the Baptist, 
which was merely a lamp along the way pointing to Christ. Now, why would John the author feel the need to do that? Again, because of all the reasons we've already talked about. John the Baptist was a big deal. The people revered him as a prophet. Some thought that he might be the Messiah. Many were going out to him for his ministry of baptism, and he had been the first person to speak on behalf of God in 400 years. And so John the author was saying, no, no, he's important in this. Sure, he's the forerunner of Christ, but he is not the one to look to for salvation. As great as he is, he is not the Christ. And as latest Acts chapter 19, verse 3, Paul actually runs into some people who are still kind of trusting in their baptism with John the Baptist. And so he has to clarify, he says this in verse 3, he says, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. So years after the ministry of John the Baptist, after he had already died, Paul was still finding people to say, no, 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 John the Baptist was pointing people to Jesus. He is the only one that can save. So I think, again, that he was warning us against the danger of, of putting our trust in the wrong religious figure or the wrong person, as righteous as they might seem to be. Now, this is extremely relevant for us today, I think, in at least four ways. Number one, John the Baptist was a prophet precisely because he pointed people to Jesus. And we know that Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name, referring to Jesus, under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. That only through the cross of Christ can somebody find salvation. But here is a very non-exhaustive list of people from the past who claim to have truth about different ways that one could find salvation, as it were. Confucius, Buddha, Krishna, Muhammad, We could go on and on and on. And all of these men were revered as great religious men who had great crowds and powerful ministries, as it were. But here's the question. Like I said, if John the Baptist was a true prophet precisely because he pointed at Christ, and these men were teaching what they were proclaiming to be religious truths that did not involve Christ, it stands to reason that would make them false prophets. Now, I know that that's not a popular statement, especially in our world of being inclusive and tolerant and all of that thing. However, it is a true statement. And I want to ask everybody a question, and I'll get there. I read a poll this week that said that 55% of people who call themselves evangelical believe that a person can be saved outside of the gospel and in another religion, as long as they are good enough or their belief is sincere enough. Over half of evangelicals would say, well, I'm a Christian, but I believe you can be saved and under another religion as well. And so here's a question that I pray will serve as a warning for us this morning. Would you agree with that statement? If you would, let me lovingly but firmly suggest that you don't yet fully understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, this warning highlights for us the danger of looking to to men or great religious leaders that are alive today for salvation rather than putting our trust in Christ. Maybe it's a really well-known pastor with a thriving ministry. Maybe when you were a kid, um, a priest or a pastor baptized you 
uh, when you were really young, or maybe you come from a tradition where you would go to a priest or a pastor to have your sins forgiven. But those men cannot save you. We are only saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So here's another question that can serve as a warning. Do you believe that you're going to go to heaven or that you receive salvation because you were baptized as a baby or because you go to church regularly or some other religious duty that you have performed or because some other man or woman told you that they could forgive your sins? If you believe that one of those things are what's giving you life, then you also don't yet understand the gospel. You don't yet understand the entire work of Jesus Christ. Because life is only found through believing in him, directly having access to God through him, and not through some other man. Third, say you're a young person in this room. Maybe the most religious, devout, awesome person you know is maybe a, a father or a mother, or maybe a grandmother or grandfather, or an aunt or an uncle. And maybe if I said, how long have you been a Christian? You would say, I've been a Christian my whole life. I was raised, you know, I'm in a Christian family. I've always been a Christian, and my parents are. Let me warn you, your, your parents' faith does not save you. There has to be a day in your life where you recognize that you are a sinner before a holy God, and you yourself cry out to him, asking him to forgive you and to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. Until you make your faith your own, your faith is not active in your life. And so I would ask one more question. Think about how you might answer these statements. Have you been a Christian your whole life? Since you were born? Because you were in a, born into a Christian family? If you would say yes to that, I would suggest you don't yet understand the gospel. But perhaps the most common way that someone might look to a person rather than to Jesus for salvation is when they look at themselves. When they think that they might have life in their self. I mean, if you talk to the average person, if you say, hey, why do you think, uh, do you think there's a heaven? They say, yeah, I probably think there is. You say, why do you think that you're going to go to heaven? They say, well, I'm not that bad a guy. I've never killed anybody. I'm a pretty good person. Sure, I've broken some of God's commands, but he should be cool with me. In fact, a lot of people would assume that if they weren't going to heaven, there's something wrong with God. That's a crazy presumption. Let me give you a story that kind of illustrates this. Um, you saw in the photo, I have two daughters. My oldest is named Anna. She turns three Tuesday. And about a year ago, uh, when she was around two years old or so, we, you know, she was ready, and we, we, we let her start drawing on paper with crayons. So we put a little table out. She put a white piece of paper down. She had crayons. We gave her a few rules. Anna, don't eat the crayons. <laughs> don't poke your baby sister in the eye with the crayons. Only draw on the paper, nothing else. You know, pretty standard, you know, parenting stuff, I would imagine. I come home one day, and right next to the table, on the, on the wall, right there, her inner, her inner artist had come out, and she had gone bananas. She's like, blah, you know, this whole thing. Hair is green. It wasn't like a little mark. It was like just all over the place. And so she's sitting there. I'm looking at this. And I look at her. I go, I go Anna, did you draw on the wall? And I love how honest the little kids are. She goes, I did, Daddy. I did draw on the wall, you know? And I'm like... All right, so we started on it. You know, sweetie, didn't we tell you that if you're going to draw, you can only draw on the paper, and you can't draw anything else? And, and I'm not even done with kind of the sentence yet, and she puts her little hand up, and she says, it's okay, Daddy. It's okay. And I'm like, excuse you? <laughs> right? 
how are you going to tell me it's okay? And then I got like that, that dad mind going. I'm like, you're going to tell me it's okay? You have those crayons because I gave you those crayons. That wall you drew on, I paid a mortgage for that wall. As a matter of fact, your mother and I brought you into this world. We are the ones that feed you. We protect you. Everything you have is because of us. You wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for me. And you're going to violate my commands. You're going to break my rules. Put your little hand up and say, it's okay. Wow, somebody's been there before. (laughs) I didn't say that. Because she's two. But I was thinking that. But I think it illustrates for us an important truth. Because the gap between me and my daughter, there's an authority gap there. There's no value. We're both humans made the image of Christ. But there is an authority gap there. But that gap is nothing compared to the gap between a man and a holy God. And a holy God could easily say, I made you. Everything you have is because I gave it to you. I sustain you. If it wasn't for my work, you wouldn't even exist. And yes, I've given you commands. And so how are you as a human going to put your hand up to a holy God and say, it's okay. God, it's okay. It's not how it works. In fact, the Word of God clearly tells us that because He is holy, He does not tolerate sin in His presence. And we are sinful, and we cannot cleanse ourselves from that sin. We could never be good enough. We could never be religious enough to earn favor and to earn salvation with Jesus Christ. With God, Jesus Christ gives us that through faith. And John the Baptist serves an example of this, because let me ask you, one more question will be done. John the Baptist, who was a great prophet, he was known for being righteous, he was known for his ministry, he was literally the fulfillment of prophecies. That man said, he is the Savior of the world, referring to Jesus. And even John the Baptist was trusting in Jesus for the salvation of his soul. Because if it wasn't for the cross of Christ, John the Baptist wasn't going to heaven. Nor was Moses, nor was Abraham, nor was the mother Mary, nobody. Nobody can earn to heaven of their own merit. So here's the question. Are you more righteous or more religious than John the Baptist? I can't imagine anybody would say yes. But his testimony tells us one more time the need for us to stop putting our hand up against God and turn to him for forgiveness and thank God that Jesus Christ, even we were stonewalling him saying, I want nothing to do with you. He came into the world He gently moves the hand down for those who believe. And he went to that cross. And he, because of his love, paid the price of the sins, again, for those who believe that we could find life. And if you have not yet known that life, if you have not yet heard this gospel, that life and salvation is made available only through Jesus Christ, and maybe you're here this morning, I pray that God's grace and his love would interrupt your life this morning that you might find life in him, that you might find salvation, that his light could penetrate your darkness, that you could believe and be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that that is true, that while we were still running from you, while we were, your word says, enemies of you, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. 
And I thank you that because our salvation depends on your work on the cross and not on or our righteousness, I pray that there's anybody here today who, who knows they're not living right, I pray that they would not leave here thinking that they should clean their life up and then come to Christ. We just demonstrated that's not how it works. I pray that they would just throw themselves at the foot of the cross and say, God, I've been running from you my whole life, but now I believe that you are the Savior that you are hope, that you are love, that you are life, that Jesus, you came to solve my greatest problem, which is that I am separated from God because of my sin. And so I pray if there's anybody watching online this morning or anybody who came here this morning that has never come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they believe. And for the rest of us, Lord, who have come to know you by faith, give us boldness as we testify about your goodness all the days of our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.